0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 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 As we've walked through the gospel readings in this season of Epiphany, There have been a number of times when I've noted that Jesus does a less than stellar job of selling either himself or what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. There was the water into wine miracle at Cana, when Jesus didn't even bother getting credit for it from the groom whose wedding he had saved. There was the inaugural sermon he preached in Nazareth, where... It all ended up with people trying to run him off a cliff. And then there was the story we read last week where Jesus made an exhausted, discouraged Simon follow up on a fruitless night of fishing by going out and fishing again. In so many ways, Jesus portrays both himself and life as his disciple. He portrays them in ways that would make most modern day marketers shake their heads. And maybe nowhere is that more true than in the text we read this morning. Jesus' so-called Sermon on the Plain. In fact, when I was writing this, the first time I typed that, I typed Sermon on the Pain, which may not actually be too far off. In this sermon, we find Jesus telling his disciples that the blessed people are the people who are poor, who are hungry, and weeping, and persecuted while those who are rich, full, happy, and well-regarded are in trouble. And as I sat with these words this week, the question that kept coming back to mind was, who signs up for that? It's not a pretty picture that Jesus paints. But Luke tells us there was a great crowd of disciples who followed Jesus. So how do we make sense of this? What was it about Jesus and what he said that drew so many people to him, maybe even despite what he said? I think I was kind of stuck on these questions because of what a contrast Jesus and his sermon in Luke here, the contrast between that and another story I came across this week. Which was a documentary that came out just recently um, about the infamous Fire Festival. Now, if you haven't heard of it, um, the Fire Festival was or was supposed to be a music festival that was to be held back in the summer of 2017. But it wasn't just any music festival, it was promoted as just the epitome of luxury and glamour and cool. It was going to take place on an island in the Bahamas. There were going to be posh accommodations, there was supposed to be gourmet food, not to mention all kinds of top musical acts, A list celebrities there. And the Fire Festival was marketed to wealthy millennials, 20 and 30 somethings with money to spare. And for the price of ticket packages that ranged from $10,000 up to more than $200,000. The Fire Festival promised to anybody who could pay for it the kind of opulence and extravagance and pleasure that celebrities' Instagram feeds are made of, the idea being that their Instagram feeds could be made of it too. The problem was that it was all a scam. Billy McFarland was the organizer of the festival, but you kind of have to put the term organizer in quotes because he didn't in fact organize anything. He made all kinds of promises without the plans or the money to carry them out. So when the festival goers arrived in the Bahamas, ready for the time of their lives, they found not the luxury accommodations that they had been promised, but the kind of tents that FEMA distributes after natural disasters. They found not gourmet food, but prepackaged cheese sandwiches. And they found not gorgeous sandy beaches, but empty expanses of gravel. So you can imagine their response. Yeah. So, Billy McFarland, the peddler of this scam, is now a subject of a $100 million lawsuit, and he is serving a six year prison sentence for wire fraud and the people who had paid so much to be a part of the fire festival they followed the promise that they were given of glamour and luxury and riches and pleasure only to find out that there was nothing there so you can you see why i found the fire festival documentary such an interesting counterpoint to jesus's sermon on the plain I mean, it's not hard to see why somebody wanting to get lots of people to follow him would promise them riches and pleasure and fame, but that's not what Jesus does. In fact, Jesus warns people against riches and pleasure and fame. He tells them that they are better off when they are poor and hungry and grieving and persecuted. And even so, great crowds of people follow him. So what do we make of this? Well, let's look closely at the text and see what we can discover. Whenever we're trying to make sense of what it is that Jesus is saying, it's usually a good idea to figure out to whom he is saying it. In verse 17, Luke writes that Jesus came and stood among a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. It's worth noting that When Luke wants to refer to Jesus' closest circle of 12 followers, he usually calls them the apostles. He uses the term disciples for the larger group of people who also followed Jesus. And here, Luke makes the distinction between that large group of disciples and an even larger multitude of people. People who had come from all over, To see Jesus, because they wanted to listen to him, and they wanted to be healed. So that's the scene that this is happening in. And then in verse 20, Luke tells us, Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, So everything that follows this whole sermon is addressed to Jesus' disciples. Not just the twelve apostles, it's not that this is a teaching just for the inner circle, but it also wasn't a teaching explicitly for the great multitudes of people, those who weren't Jesus' disciples. So, what difference does that make? Well, it means that the, the blessings and the woes that Jesus is about to pronounce must have something to do with discipleship. Jesus isn't making sweeping statements about all of reality. He's describing something that is particular to those who follow him. And I think that matters, especially because of what, or actually whom, he is about to proclaim to be blessed. Namely, the poor, the hungry, those who weep, and those who are persecuted. Because Jesus is talking about those experiences, those states, in the context of discipleship, it means that he's not calling poverty or hunger or grief or persecution themselves blessed. He's not saying that any of those are good things. He's not saying that they should be sought out. He's not saying that people shouldn't work to fight against them. Jesus is not glorifying poverty or suffering. And I think that's important to note because sometimes I think we can hear blessed are the poor or blessed are the hungry. And we take it to mean that somehow that lets us off the hook for fighting against poverty and hunger and suffering wherever and however we can. I do think that the poor and the suffering are very close to Jesus' heart, regardless of whether they are his disciples. I do believe he cares about them deeply. But in this sermon, Jesus isn't offering a universal statement of blessing on all who are poor and who suffer, at least not because of or on account of their poverty and suffering. What Jesus is saying by addressing his words specifically to his disciples is that precisely because they are his disciples, people should expect to be poor. Because people are his disciples, they should expect to be hungry. Because people are his disciples, they should expect to weep. And because people are his disciples, they should expect to be persecuted. And therefore, they are blessed. Now, that is not exactly an easy word to hear. But it gets worse when Jesus goes into the woes. So, verses 24 through 26, and Jesus says, Woe to you who are rich, woe to you who are full. Woe to you who laugh. Woe to you who are well regarded. Money, comfort, pleasure, and fame. If you had to sum up the idols of American consumerism in four words, I think those would be pretty good ones to choose. Basically, Jesus takes everything that our culture regards as the markers of the good life... And Jesus says, not so much. You better be careful. Watch out, because these things put you in danger. Again, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples here, which isn't to say that those things might not pose dangers to people who aren't his disciples. But in this particular instance, He's calling attention to the ways that the temptations of wealth and pleasure and fame are especially dangerous for those who are his disciples. So, essentially, this part of Jesus' sermon all boils down to Jesus saying, basically, You want to be my disciples? Super. Be prepared to become poor, needy, mourning, and persecuted. You'll be blessed. And make sure you're not rich, satisfied, happy, or well-regarded, because those are really dangerous. It's not much of a sales pitch. That is not going to get people to shell out tens of thousands of dollars to be part of that festival. (laughs) And yet, right? And yet, hundreds, even thousands of people followed Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. Not to mention the unnumbered, to us, billions of people who have done so ever since. Including, of course, us. So what is it? What's the secret of Jesus' success in calling people away from a life of comfort and to a life of hardship as his disciple? The secret which actually isn't very secret at all, ultimately, I think, is simple. It's Jesus himself. Jesus himself is what Jesus offers to his disciples. And at the risk of sounding trivializing, I'll say that that makes Jesus kind of the anti-fire festival. The problem with Fire Festival was that it promised all kinds of good things, but when people got there, it turned out there was no there there. The promises were lovely, but the reality was empty. But with Jesus, it is just the opposite. Jesus' promises aren't necessarily attractive or easy, but the reality the reality is better than we could imagine. Because when we answer Jesus' invitation, what we get is nothing less than Jesus himself. And that is what is really at the heart of the blessings and the woes of Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. See, when Jesus says, blessed are you when... He's not saying that God gives you some sort of extra special dose of blessing for being poor or hungry or persecuted. He's saying that the state you're in, when you're in that state, is a good one to be in. In the words of New Testament scholar R.T. France, the blessings that Jesus proclaims here are not so much theological assertions about whom God blesses, but commendations of a good way of life. And the equivalent could be said about the woes. So why is it a good state to be in? To be hungry or poor or grieving or persecuted? Some translators even used to replace the word blessed with congratulations. Congratulations when you are poor or hungry or grieving or persecuted. Why? Why? Because when disciples of Jesus are in those situations, they know they don't have anything. They know they cannot help themselves or save themselves. They know that they need Jesus and that's what makes them blessed. Not because there's something good about their situation in and of itself, but because disciples in that situation know that they need Jesus. And when they know they need him, then they're able to receive him. As Peter Eaton puts it, our God is the God of those who have nothing but God. Likewise, disciples of Jesus who are rich or satisfied or well-regarded tend not to think so much that they need anything or anyone. They don't see the same kind of need for Jesus, and so they can't receive him in the same way. That's why Jesus warns his disciples to, to watch out for, to, to beware of those situations. Not because there's something inherently bad about wealth or satisfaction or a good reputation, But because disciples who have those things tend to forget their need for Jesus, and so they are unable to receive him. Now, if we are honest, I think there is no way for us, sitting here in this room this morning, to hear Jesus' words of blessing and woe and not find them pretty challenging. We may not be rich necessarily, but mostly we're comfortable. We don't go hungry. It's not very often that following Jesus leads us into mourning or persecution. Which may mean that it's Jesus' words of woe that need to speak to us as loudly, if not more loudly, than his words of blessing. But that doesn't mean that we should glorify suffering or go seek it out. It does mean, I think, that we should ask God to keep our hearts and our minds open to what Jesus might be inviting us to. The promises that the worlds around us offer are alluring. Promises of wealth and happiness, of satisfaction and approval. But what life shows us again and again is that ultimately those promises are empty. Jesus invites us into something different. Jesus invites us into a life of discipleship that might result in suffering. Not because suffering is good. Not because we earn extra points with God for it but because whatever suffering we may encounter because of our discipleship, through that we get to experience the blessing of knowing all we have is Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have more than enough. That, I think, is why crowds of disciples followed Jesus, even despite his counterintuitive sales pitch because they knew the value of what Jesus offered, which was himself, and they knew that he was good for his promises. It's why we have chosen, can choose, or can choose again to follow Jesus, because what Jesus offers us is real and it is good. And it's why we can invite others to follow Jesus too, Because what he has offered to us, he offers to all. The blessing of knowing ourselves to be needy and of finding that Jesus himself fills all of those needs beyond our imagining. N.T. Wright captures well how living out this blessed life that Jesus calls us to has the power to transform not just us, but the whole world. And so I'll close with his words. The kingdom of God, he writes, will come as the church, energized by the spirit, goes out into the world vulnerable, suffering, praising, praying, misunderstood, misjudged, vindicated, celebrating, Always bearing in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed. May it be so. Amen.